Well, good morning. And it's good to see all of you on this last Sunday of March. Uh, my name's Tim, if I hadn't had a chance to meet you. And just, uh, if you're a guest, thanks again so much for being here. And for all of you that are joining us online, maybe you're doing the live stream or maybe you're catching it during the week, uh, we're just so grateful uh, to have you follow along with what's going on here at this church. Uh, before we get uh, too far in the message today, I just want to uh, just point out a couple things to you. I hope you could help me uh, do this this morning. But first is, uh, is Joe and Karen here in the second row. Uh, they actually got married here um, just two weeks ago on St. Patrick's Day. After the 1130 service, we came up here and did this really cool thing called marriage. Stand up. So you give it. Congratulations. And then there's one more thing. I thought I saw them here. Are Bill and Ellen here? Or am I just seeing things? There, yeah, there. So, see, I thought you were there. They are. I did see you. I, I did the baptism. See, Bill, your eye caught my eye. So this is Bill and Ellen Gash. You know we've been talking a lot about them. They have spent the last three months in Honduras. When did you guys get back? Tuesday. Tuesday, because you never answered my text message, because I wanted to see. <laughs> so now I get to do this to you guys. Five schools built. God only knows how many dozens of schools you resourced. God answered your prayers. You guys are safe. Can you guys stand so we can just recognize you and thank God for all of your ministry? It is so good to have you guys home, and we're just, I want you to know how much we've been praying for you and surrounding you in prayer and uh, just being able to tell the congregation what's going on. So we'll be talking more about them in the future. But today, uh, believe it or not, we're on week nine of our Family Values series, and um, I hope that you've enjoyed this as we've been walking through the gospel of Mark, and we've been asking, uh, you know, ourselves, these values that Jesus is passing on to his disciples, to the crowds, are these values the same values that we have in our homes and in our lives? And so maybe this is your first week with us, so you haven't been here for all of these other wonderful weeks. You're not going to believe this, but we actually have the opportunity for you to go online. You, you can actually download all of them. You can listen to them. You can binge watch sermons. This is a new thing that, that, that's, I'm starting the wave of this. Uh, one of our members, he actually works in TV and radio. He said the average Detroit commuter is guess how long? Hour. Hour. He said it was 27 minutes. But I thought, <laughs> how cool is that, that you can finish a sermon on your way there and back? You can finish two sermons. You can knock out this whole series in one week. So if you haven't been here, we'd love to have you do that. But today we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 12. We're in the 12th chapter of Mark. And uh, as you know, we've really been pushing this family wood board experience uh, the reason that we want you to do that is because we're a church of action. We don't want you just to come here and hear the word. We actually want you to put these things into practice. And many of you have asked me, where did this whole concept come from? Why, why did you guys come up with this idea and, you know, even the sermon series behind this? And this is really, uh, I'll answer on this ninth week. I'll tell you where it all started. It started with a good friend of mine named Kristen Heaney. And uh, Kristen and Ryan Heaney, they, uh, she was on staff here for 13 years. She's the original care director. She started the program and uh, just did an incredible job until God, for some reason, put on their heart and called them down to Florida where it's sunny every day in the palm trees because apparently there was lost people down in Florida that needed to hear about Jesus. And so they up and left and moved to sunny Florida. And so uh, they live in Vero Beach now. So um, if any of you have been there, and we happened to be down there at that place called Disney World. I don't know if any of you have ever heard that. Um, one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. But we were down there. 
in Disney World, and so part of this is we went over and we stayed a couple days with them in their beautiful home, and I walked into their kitchen, and they had this board hanging up uh, right outside their kitchen, I thought, man, that is so cool. That would make an amazing sermon series, and it'd be a really cool project to do with our church. And so I'm so excited that we have over 70 families, think about that, we don't know how many people that represents, but over 70 families that are signed up. I know some of you, you might be thinking to yourselves, okay, you know, I don't know if I want to do this or my kids are out of the house now, they're all grown adults, maybe you're on to grandkids. And wouldn't you know that just even yesterday that I got an email from uh, one of our members who's in that circumstance. She has three adult children, they're all married, she has tons of grandkids. And uh, this was how she was kind of uh, feeling about this whole thing. She felt guilty about coming and, and actually putting family values on the board because she was worried that they would go and they would hang it at their house and their kids would come over and go, those aren't the values that we had growing up. What are you guys making this stuff up? And so uh, in order to get over that, what she ended up doing is she sent a group text to her three kids and so she shared this in the email with me. And it was really cool to see the values that the kids actually said. It was kind of affirmation for her. And just how now she's, she's still married and she can have values for her and her husband. She can have values for her grandkids. And so don't think just because you don't have kids in the house, you can't be part of this. And it's not about making the wood board, trust me. It's just about taking the time to write these values out, get involved. And so we hope that you all will do this. I promise this is the last time that we'll do this commercial and really push this thing. We just really want you to engage in what we've been doing. In fact, I was at my house church just this last uh, Sunday, my small group, and uh, it was funny listening to them as they now have be started the process of putting their family values together. And so one of the families in my small group, uh, they told us that these are the values that they have picked so far. I promised them that I wouldn't call them out this morning. But I thought, hey, you got to start somewhere, right? And so your values are your values. Whatever it is that you want to put in, in your life, again, be moved to action. So last time, sign up. Today's the deadline. you got to do it. Or go make an appointment on your own. This is a local place that we've partnered with. Or write it on a piece of paper and stick it all over your house. Whatever you do, do it today. Because uh, today, believe it or not, we're going to talk about the most important value we can have for our families. The most important value you can have for your family. Because this is the most important value that Jesus taught us in his word. And you might be saying, well, why didn't we do this week one? Right? Wouldn't this make sense if we did the most important value week one? Well, it's because it doesn't show up until Mark chapter 12, and I'm a linear thinker, and I just can't go backwards. So we're doing it today because it lines up with our readings as we've walked through the gospel of Mark. And so we're going to see how this plays out today. So I want to encourage you to grab one of the chair Bibles that are right in front of you. If you're in the front row, they're actually underneath the seat. And we're going to look at page 848, Mark, the 12th chapter, starting in verse 28. Page 848. Now, if you're new to Shepherd's Gate um, and you don't have a Bible, uh, we want you to know this morning that the Bible that you are holding is now your Bible. We want you to take that home with you. The greatest gift our church, we believe that we can give you is God's word. So please, on behalf of the church, make sure you take a Bible home with you today. But let's look at Mark chapter 12. And as you're in there, before we get into verse 28, okay, we're just going to look at verse 13. So you just have your eyeballs go up to verse 13 for a moment. Because I want you to understand what's going on in Mark chapter 12. It says that they sent to him, that's Jesus, they sent to Jesus some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. 
And so these are the top religious people of the time. These are the most educated people, the most spiritual people during the time of Jesus. And so they're sending these religious, uh, educated people to Jesus. And now look at what it says they're doing to trap him in his talk. So Jesus is teaching with his disciples. He's teaching with the crowds. And so they send these people out to ask Jesus difficult questions. So I want you to kind of get the whole kind of picture of what's going on here in chapter 12. And so as you look at chapter 12, there's actually three questions that are going back and forth between these religious leaders and Jesus. The first one is whether they should pay taxes to Caesar, who was the ruler at the time. And isn't it funny how this would just line up with the fact that tax day is only a couple weeks away? And so if any of you are wondering if you should pay your taxes or if you should be honest on your tax return, go home and read that portion of scripture and Jesus will lay it out for you, okay? Uh, The second one that they asked him was, after the resurrection of the dead, who are you married to? And it wasn't because they actually wanted to know the answer. Again, they were trying to trick him. They were trying to trap him. They said, so if a guy, you know, uh, gets married and his wife dies, and then he gets married again and that wife dies, and he gets married again and that wife dies, who is she married to after the resurrection? And so if you want to know more about that, you can read that on your own this week. And we're going to focus on this third interaction where they ask him, what is the most important commandment? What is the most important commandment? So now let's look at that together. It's in verse 28. It says, one of the scribes, now think about this, came up and heard them disputing with one another, right? And so here they are, they're having this argument. Jesus had arguments with these people. There's there's an exchange between him and the religious leaders. They're disputing and seeing that he answered them well, so he's impressed with the way that Jesus is able to kind of answer their questions. He asked them, which commandment is the most important of all? Which one is most important of all? I know some of you are wondering, well, which one is it? So you got to understand at this time in this place, they actually had 613 individual commandments that they tried to follow. 613. Now, wouldn't that be fun to print out and put at your home, right? Bring the kids around and say, okay, kids, now for the, re- for the next 10 years, we're going to try to live up to these 613 commandments. In fact, there was 248 positive commandments, things that you should do, 365, one for every day of the year, 365 negative things that you should not do. And believe it or not, there was religious leaders that are actually trying to live up to this. They were actually trying to fulfill all 613 or the ones that they could fulfill out of this huge list. And if you're wondering about this, I would encourage you to go home. You can Google it. You can read through all of these different commandments. And so they said, Jesus, out of the 613, which one is most important? And this is how he answers. He says, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all of your strength. Wow. That seems pretty daunting, doesn't it? That seems like a really difficult task to try to do. Some of you, you've been in church your whole life. You know this passage. This wasn't a cliffhanger for you. You knew what I was going to read from the Gospel of Mark. Maybe you've heard dozens of sermons on this. But how in the world does this actually become real in our lives? How do we actually love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and with all of our strength? What does this even mean? And what Jesus is doing here is he's actually quoting Deuteronomy. He takes it out of Deuteronomy. The next passage you're going to see, he takes out of Leviticus. But this one's in Deuteronomy where it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God 
with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Did you notice the difference between the two passages? Did you notice the difference? Anybody catching on? How come mind is included in Mark and it's not included in Deuteronomy? Here's a couple different theories. One is, does Jesus just not know the Old Testament? Did he misquote the Old Testament, his own word? And so skeptics will point to this and say, see, here's one of the inconsistencies in the Bible. Or people will say, maybe the the scribe, right, the person who wrote this, Mark got it wrong. And so Mark's actually adding to the word of God. And thus, because he's adding to the word of God, other authors must have added to the word of God, thus reducing the power and the authority that the word of God has in our lives. Or maybe this is a theory as well. Maybe Jesus just happens to be God. And if Jesus wants to add to his own word, he has the ability and the power to do that. What do you think? Right? Kind of wild. And so you look at this and you go, okay, God, what is it that you are communicating to us in this passage? How do we love God? How do we do that? How do we do that? And he tells us, with all our heart and soul. I want you to think about that, how much God is calling us to himself. That God doesn't want to just connect with you on an intellectual level. That you just, at the end of the day, go, well, it just makes sense to be a Christian. Or this seems to be good for my family. That God actually wants to have a personal relationship with you. And that he doesn't want to just connect with your mind. That he wants to connect with your heart and your soul where your emotions are connected to. That you and I can be in such a relationship with God that he actually cares when we're struggling and when we're frustrated, and when we get angry, and when we need to cry out to God. I can't tell you how many times my prayers have turned into those things. When I get upset, and I feel like I'm at the end of my rope, and, I just, and I'm frustrated with life, and I just literally, and I'm not joking, scream out to God. That God actually invites us to do that, that he can take it. He's big enough to take our frustrations. Or when we're depressed and, and we're just we're, we're overcome with emotion and sorrow and pain and whatever the case may be, that we can actually cry out to God, that God wants to hear from us. In fact, the only reason that we're actually able to love God is because he first loved us. Just as he created us, just as he knit us together in our mother's womb, as Psalm says, just as he sent Jesus to die for us while we were still dead in our sins and he did something for us that we couldn't even do for ourselves, he loves us so much that he is the one who produces faith in our heart and our lives as you saw today in the baptism. And not only does he produce faith in our hearts and our lives, he gives us the ability to love him back. I mean, that's incredible love. That he loves us and then gives us the ability and, and, and the ability to love him back. We love him because he first loved us. One of my favorite passages is Psalm 37 where it says, Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself. Realize what it is that God has done for you and he will give you the desires of your heart. Over and over again, throughout the scriptures, we hear so many passages about our hearts and our souls. Some of you might know the, the scripture that says, As the deer painteth for the water, so my what? So my soul It longs for you, it yearns for you, that that there's this connection that God wants to make with us. And and as we begin to have that relationship with him, as we spend time in his word, as we spend time in prayers, we spend time uh, amongst other people who are fellow believers, guess what? That thing begins to grow, 
people that you know this, those of you that read your Bibles, that you do this on a consistent basis, that when all of a sudden you stop reading your Bibles for a couple days, you actually feel it in your heart. You feel this longing to want to connect again with God because he feeds us through his word. There's a whole heart aspect to this. He wants all of us, not part of us. He doesn't want to share us. He wants all of us. Even this whole thing with our minds, think about it. And there's so many scriptures on our minds. Romans 12 talks about this, right? The renewing of your mind and taking captive the thoughts that the devil tries to put in there and even ourselves as we try to put things in there that God never intended us to put in there. And even Paul, as he writes so many things, and this is just one example of that in the word about how there's all these things that whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, think about these things. Stop obsessing about all of the negativity going on in the world. Stop being so focused on everything falling apart because the, 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 the terrible news is it's not going to get any better. It's going to continue to get worse, but instead that we would focus on the positive. We would focus on all the good things that are happening, and we would pass that value on to those around us. Talk about a family value, right? Positivity is passing those things on to those around us, our minds. And then this last one, strength. This one has always gotten me, right? How do you love God with all of your strength? You show him your muscles or something, right? What does that mean? And the Old Testament says might. Anybody know? Anybody ever grappled with this? And I was digging deep into this thing this week, and I was trying to figure this out, and I, I found out that this word strength and might, the, the might word that's used in the Old Testament, is only used twice in all the Old Testament as a noun. It's found in this passage in Deuteronomy, then it's found over in 2 Kings by this king named uh, Josiah who God was turning his heart toward him and so he said that he turned his heart with all of his might. But it's usually used as a verb in the Old Testament. And so I was like, okay, I'm still, it still was a cloudy picture. So I go over the New Testament, the New Testament in Mark where it's written in Greek. And when you look at this word strength in Greek, it actually means power, your power. And then if you, look at, if you look at it in the, in the language that they spoke of the day, which was Aramaic, those were the words that Jesus said when he was on the cross. You might remember he cried out in Aramaic. When you look at it in Aramaic, it actually means wealth. So think about it. It's not just based on who you are. It's what you have at your disposal. Are you loving God with the influence? And you know that's our theme for 2019. See how this thing ties together. The influence that God has given you, the leadership position that he's put you in, the finances, the stewardship of what you have. Are you loving God with all of your being or just part of it? And as he said to his disciples in John, he says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. You're going to do what I've asked you to do. So how are we doing on that one, church? How are we doing in, in, in embracing this reality of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because here's kind of a relief for you this morning. None of us are ever going to achieve this, this side of heaven. None of us are, have the ability to do that. We're all on this process and this journey, and God is continuing to bring us closer to himself. He's continuing to draw us to himself. And thanks be to God that when we screw this up and, and we allow our own sinful pride to get in the way and we put other things in the way between us and God, that he doesn't just leave us where we're at, but that he picks us up, he dusts us off, he forgives us, and he puts us back on this path, on this journey that he has for us. That's how much he loves us. That's how much grace and mercy he has for you and for me and for our families. So together, let's continue to figure out how we can love God 
with everything that we have, all the influence that he's given us. And then some of you, you probably know where this is going, right? This is the second part of this. In verse 31, it says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that. Do you really love your neighbor as yourself? Anyone really feel like they got this one down? I mean, we spend a lot of time on ourselves. No amens on that one, <laughs> right? We, think about how much you have to spend on your, how much concentration you have to put into your own self. And yet he's saying that you should love, not like, not support, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And I'll tell you the other thing that often happens with this passage is, we go, okay, it makes sense to love God with all heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, I get that. And that one should kind of be up here. And then this other one that says love your neighbor as yourself, it should probably you know, be down here, right? Like we'll do everything we can to love God and then when we have time, we'll love our neighbors. But yet in the passage, he doesn't separate them. He says there is no other commandment. He doesn't say commandments greater than these. He puts these two on the same level, that you and I would live our lives in response to what he has done for us, that we, that we constantly are trying to figure out how is it that we love God and that we love those around us. In fact, as I said, this one's found in Leviticus. He takes, takes it from Leviticus where it says, you shall not take revenge. Think about that. Or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. How do we do that? How do we really live our lives in view of this, loving our neighbors as ourselves? And how do we make this a value in our hearts and our lives? How do we pass this value onto our kids and onto our grandkids? I think some simple practical ways are we serve people. And I see this happen all the time. I saw this happen just last Thursday night in our care program as I watch people come early to cook a home-cooked meal for people that come here on Thursday nights that are in distress, that are um, just going through difficult times. I'm like, man, that's loving your neighbor as yourself. I see it every time I come here on Sunday morning. It takes over 100 people, 100 volunteers to run this congregation from the greeters to the ushers to the people that do the coffee to all the people in between. And I'm glad that we're able to give our kids leaders a break this week. Kids, we are glad that you're with us this morning. And how many dedicated people that are just giving of themselves, sacrificing themselves, willingly supporting people. That we would actually pray for other people. That as we looked at last week, that we would forgive people, that we would support them, we would do all these things that God has called us to do. And here's the crazy thing about loving your neighbor as yourself, that when you do this, when you step into this realm, when you begin to live in this reality, it actually becomes contagious. Did you know that? If you want to pass this on to your kids, the number one way to do it is to model it. But if you don't have the time and the energy and you're not being intentional about this, there's no way it's ever going to transfer on to them. You and I have to model this for the next generation. We love our neighbors. And you know, there's this term going around uh, several years ago called paying it forward, right? Pay it forward. And what does that look like? How do we embrace this calling from God on our lives? And many of you know that a few weeks ago, we sent a group of men from our congregation to this country that we've been partnered with for a long time. You guys have heard a lot about this country down in Central America called Belize. We've been partnered with them since 2008. And so 10 men said, we will take money out of our checking accounts and pay to go on this trip. We will give up a week of our family's vacation and we will go and we will bless other people. 
We will go and we will serve other people. Some of you might not know the backstory to this, and I want to tell you this uh, this morning. It's, it's really incredible because we started off in 2008 in one village, and then in 2010 we went to a completely different area of Belize where we met these two people called Joe and Judy, and they were the pastor and the pastor's wife of a village. And so we were there in 2010, and we went back in 2012, and then we tried to go back in 2014, and they said, no, you've already blessed us enough. We want you to go now, and we want you to bless other villages. Who does that, right? We were so connected to that church. We were so happy to be serving in this congregation. They said, no, we've had enough of your blessings and we're so grateful for everything you've done for us. It's now time to reach out. And so in 2016 when we went, we actually went and we blessed other churches right in their same area. And here's kind of the interesting twist of the whole thing. When we go, we bring all of these supplies. We have all of these donations that we leave behind. And Pastor Joe and Judy said, you know what? We have been blessed enough. It's time for us to activate our congregation it's time for us to push our congregation to go on a mission trip. And so they took all the leftover uh, VBS supplies and sports supplies and everything that was donated uh, to their church, and they took it down to this village called San Miguel, south of them. And they took buses down, and they stayed at a campground, and they did a whole week mission trip in San Miguel. And so when we said, hey, we want to come back in 2016, they said, guess where you're going? San Miguel. They were actually the first mission trip to San Miguel. It's really kind of cool. And so here now we've had this partnership with San Miguel from 2016 to 2018, going to these places and being able to be a blessing to them. And I want you to hear what happened on this mission trip in 2019 with these men. So will you please welcome them as they come at this time? Now, Steve here is one of the co-leaders, so could you just tell him a little bit about the trip and what your mission was as you went to Belize? Sure. Um, good morning, everybody. Um, in 2018, in February, when we were there, um, Tim actually hatched the idea while we were uh, painting the church in San Miguel and talked to various men that, hey, we need a men's trip to San Miguel and concentrate only on construction. So... Um, when we got back, um, the challenge was once again presented, so it's, he asked Steve Keck and I if we could put together a team to go down and um, build. And these men uh, answered the call, and one of them is not here. Um, he's on mission in Florida. Apparently, they need a lot of help down there. Brian McQuaid and Vicki McQuaid are uh, <laughs> watching us on live stream. Welcome, guys. Um, <laughs> so what we did, and as you can see in the pictures, um, we helped them construct a parsonage, uh, a place for the pastor and his family to live so we could stay in the village and be on actually constant mission in his own village and be with his people day in and day out. Um, they, had, they reconstructed their own kitchen. Uh, that's where the pastor used to stay with the thatch roof and everything. But now they have um, a brick building um, with, a, with a solid roof. And um, basically, we spent eight days with them and worked on construction for all that time.
Now, TJ, out of the 10 guys, you're the only non-member in the group, and you had your first experience going down with your son-in-law and granddaughter. So could you just tell us kind of what God did in your life and what this trip meant to you? Be happy to. Uh, my wife and I live in South Lyon, Michigan, and uh, our connection to Shepherd's Gate is through our daughter and her family, the DiGiovannis. Uh, Scott and Michelle uh, have three daughters. They started, uh, I think it was a few years ago, they went uh, with Jessica on mission to Belize. Next trip, Ashley's turn. And in 2018, it was Jacqueline's turn, and they invited me to go along with them. I said, well, this sounds like a great idea, and it turned out to be a wonderful time to share with with the granddaughter, with with the son-in-law, that you don't really get a chance to share like that on a normal day-by-day -day -day basis, right? So it went well. We had like 38 people on that mission. We had women and children and our guys. We painted like crazy. We had some fun. We taught these people how to how to use a paintbrush. They they didn't really know, and so. It was a, a rewarding experience. And so then uh, they approached me again last year and said, would I like to go again? And I thought, well, this might just be a, a good way to, to love your neighbor, to, to pay it forward. I had a, uh, a wonderful experience with, with the, the big group. Let's go down and experience building something. And the, what I brought back was, was the, the experience with with these guys, my experiences with the people down there, and uh, I can't, can't imagine not doing it again. He just signed up to go again, you hear that? <laughs> Scott, tell us a little bit about your experience and how we paid it forward. Uh, what Tim started uh, years ago was uh, the clothes off our back. Uh, what we would do, is when we leave uh, Belize, we would leave our clothes and our shoes and our underwear and our dirty socks and everything and the, uh, with the village, and the village would pass it, you know, within their own village. <laughs> so what um, Beth Ann and I were doing is she started cleaning out my closet, which I didn't even know at the time. <laughs> so now, my, now the last couple of years is actually it's like, some of my favorite shirts and shorts <laughs> are now gone. So, and now when we go shopping, even we'll go. We always when we go shopping, we always go straight to the clearance section. And now she's actually been picking out things. Oh, I think uh, the kids would like this in Belize. I think the men would like this in Belize. So now <clears throat> we actually are planning and also buying stuff for next year. So those are the things we do. And when we went in 2018. I think we actually left like 38 bags of clothes down there. Go ahead. Tell them what happened with us. So here's the pay at Fort. You've got to tell them what they did with the 38 bag. Oh, you're going to do it now? Sure. Yeah. Oh, all right. You're switching it up from 830 on me. So Matthew 5.16 in the message version says, be generous with your lives. And these trips the people who have gone on the variety of these Belize mission trips have been incredibly generous with their time and their talents. And this church has been incredibly generous with its financial support and its prayerful support. 
and this is not being missed in the village of San Miguel and the Nazarene church that we work with. During a lunch break, we were sitting talking with Pastor Florencio, and he was asking, how, how else do we pay it forward? And we talked a little bit about Mission 13, which is focused on how we serve uh, our brothers and sisters financially, how our tithes come in and go right back out, but also things like McCrest and the CARE program and Step Out and Serve that are corporate, corporate uh, uh, items of the church that we're also spending our time, as well as what small groups do in a variety of other ways to serve. And they were taking a lot of notes. And we realized they weren't just taking notes because they were feeling called to do this. They were doing this already. We learned that they gave sacrificially from each family in that church to then go and take time off of work. And in Belize, you don't work, you don't get paid. So they were double sacrificing and went into a neighboring village to help them build a kitchen for the church in that neighboring village, okay? And not only were they doing that, they took all of those bags of clothing from that 2018 trip and kept nothing in their village. They went to other villages that they knew were in deeper need. They had been so insanely blessed by what we've done for them, they felt called to go and take those, those clothes and go give them to others in need. And I'm going to mess with you one more time because there's one other personal story. And I said, because this is both the church doing it and individuals being called to do it. And there was a 25-year-old who's a teacher. And he was called to go into other villages and find ways to resource those students who pay for their school. They need to pay for their books, $1,000 a year. They need to pay for their actual classes. And they need to pay for their uniforms. And Belize is under-resourced, and he's, he's sitting there taking what he has individually based on the inspiration from, from us and in obedience to God to go out into those other villages and to do this in an educational sense. And I say this because I know you said the gases are here. And we stood in, San, in Punta Gorda, and understand this in southern Belize, you can stand on the Caribbean in Punta Gorda and look across to Honduras. So the fact that there are these two educational opportunities and missions that this church is doing within sight of each other in two countries is not a mistake, so praise God. Thanks you guys so much for sharing today. I want you to look at this last part of our passage this morning. It's kind of interesting because after Jesus answers this question, he tells them that, that what, these, uh, what, these, what the greatest commandment is. It says, the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. Which isn't it kind of nice when you tell God he's right? You have truly said that he is one. There is no one besides him to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices, which was a big deal to them in this time. It says, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, look at it, he says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And it made me just think about our church and the generosity of our church. And as many of you know, as we continue to figure out this year, what is the mission of Shepherd's Gate? What is the vision of Shepherd's Gate? What's going to be the strategy that's going to take us into the future for the next five years as we continue to plot this out? God, how do you help us take what we have and the foundation that's been built and continue to love our neighbors as ourselves? And we love our neighbors as ourselves because you have first loved us and give us the ability to love you back. And, and by loving our neighbors, we are in fact loving you. That even the people that we come in contact with in practical ways would be not far from the kingdom of God, that God would draw more and more people to himself, which is ultimately the goal of every single church. Amen?
So I want to continue to pray about that and ask God what that looks like for us as we continue throughout this year. And so I'm so humbled and grateful to be on this journey with you for 10 guys who are willing to, to go on this crazy trip and to sacrifice their time and their energy. And I asked Steve to stay up here as one of the co-leaders and just to close us out in prayer. So will you stand with us as uh, Steve takes us out in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for knitting this church together called Shepherd's Gate. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all the people here that are on mission all the time. Um, one way or another, through their giving, through their prayer for support, um, just by loving you, loving their neighbors here locally, and helping us to love our neighbors afar. We thank you for knitting together the churches in southern Belize, in northern Belize, that we have been invited on the adventure to serve. And Lord, I pray for Gracie as uh, one of our future missionaries, and and. I pray all these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. 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 Can we give Steve a hand again this morning? <laughs> Receive the blessing of our Lord this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace.